It's just a good thing I didn't know he was coming. <laughs> or he'd be standing up here tonight preaching. Amen. Met Brother Menno years and years ago, and we've always had such a wonderful friendship. I don't get to see him that often, but you know how it is with some friends you have. You don't get to see him really, really often, but every time you see him, it's just like you just reconnect, and there it is. That's the way it's been with Brother Menno. I went up there years ago, and he took me around to preach in some of the different places, and I just always have sort of admired our brother. Well, isn't it good to be here tonight? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being patient with us on the sound and the lights and all this new stuff we're getting used to. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get it all set here before long. Thank you for your patience. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. This whole world of ours is full of so much sorrow and difficulty and trouble and sadness and death and over 11,000 people lost their lives, and as you know, in the earthquake there in Turkey and Syria, and so much disease and heartache and just life itself. So maybe for a little while, again tonight, we can be able to leave some of that aside and move into our future. As the angel of the Lord told Brother Branham years ago, whenever he went to Africa and missed the will of God and picked up the amoeba, thought he was going to die. He was sitting in a tub of water praying, asking God to help him. And he saw these white pieces of paper, and a hand took and threw them like that, and like they made a, a pathway up into heaven. And the angel told him, your way is clear and your future. So if we can for a little bit tonight, maybe we can lay aside our anxiety, our trouble, our worries of life, and let's look at a little bit of our future. Because I'm telling you tonight, your future is looking wonderful. Now, I'm not a fortune teller, but I am a future teller. And if you're living for the Lord, you're looking good. If you ain't, you're in big trouble. So I can tell everybody's future depending on the way they're going to live. Let's read together. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. Now, this is the interpretation of the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This is the beginning of the great Gentile kingdoms of the world. And what God is showing this heathen king, the heathen king has the dream, but he doesn't have a clue what it means. So God sends the prophet, and the prophet doesn't redream it, but he has a vision. And then the prophet interprets the vision, and uh, this is where we pick up here in Daniel 2.31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. And the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold. Now, this was the king himself, of course, and the Babylonian kingdom. His breast and his arms were of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass. So he starts at the head, and he starts defining it the way Daniel goes down. 
as he does, each one of these symbols, which are symbolized by metal, they're getting weaker and weaker and of less value. But it's going to show the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, come on down, of course, to the Roman at the bottom. His legs of iron, his feet were part iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet. So notice where it hits him. It doesn't hit the image in the head. It doesn't hit the image in the chest or the thighs, but it hits the image in the feet. And he said, the feet that were of iron and clay. Now, iron and clay is a mixture. They're not, there's no way that they can ever mix strong. Metallurgical mixed with dirt that's basically wet and moist. So, there's no way that it can go together. So, it shows a divided kingdom. There's where the weakness will be. And break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became, now notice the stone came out of a mountain, and it come in a condescended form, and then it became a great mountain. You're talking about the condescension of God in the form of His Son, which was Himself in humanity. So He comes from Himself as a stone, a rock, just a small rock. And then once that rock destroys these kingdoms, then that rock becomes, grows, unfolds into a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I mean, like to be remembered tonight as we pray. <clears throat> Let's just bow our heads together, if you would. Heavenly Father, we're truly blessed tonight to be able to once again stand in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you mean to us. You've done so many wonderful things for all of us. We stand here tonight, Lord, with breath, with life. We have a provision of clothes and food and so many things that you've given to us, and we want you to know that we are happy to be your people. The psalmist David said it so many years ago, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We ask you tonight, Father, that you would catch us up. You see the hour that we're living, and there's trouble and despair and sadness and sorrow and death and politically and religiously, every way we look. We can see the world is at its end. It's at the terminating point of all these kingdoms. And it's because soon and very soon, the stone will come and destroy and annihilate everything that is of this present world. We pray, Father, that you would fall upon us while we're in this Gentile dispensation. May we, by the grace of God, be able to not be destroyed by this stone, but our nature will be annihilated. We will be born again in the image of God so we can be part of that great kingdom. Speak to us tonight, Father, from your word, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, 
God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Truly, when God spoke to his prophets in these symbols, it must have been very unusual to them and to the people that would hear them. Can you imagine being in the days of Daniel whenever this was written sometime after Daniel would have seen it and the people picking it up and trying to read and understand a stone, silver, gold, brass, iron, clay. What in the world does all that mean? And what's amazing about it is that even though this was written uh, over 2,700 years ago, and yet to many people, it's still just as much a mystery as it was when Daniel spoke it then. But yet God doesn't want it to remain a mystery. We know that God desires for certain things in His Word to be understood. Truly, this is one of them. The stone does not represent Christianity. It does not represent denominational systems. It does not represent our church. It doesn't represent me or it doesn't represent you. But it does represent our Lord Jesus. For He took on this form, which was an earthly image, of course, I find it so amazing that he humbled himself when he come to the earth that he took on the form of a lamb and he was identified in the form of a servant according to the book of Isaiah. He was identified as a sheep. He was identified as a rock. He was identified as a sacrifice. He was identified at all these symbols that we could look around on the earth and think, why in the world would he do that? He did that for us. You know, it's a shame that man absolutely is totally lost without God, and man has such a hard time trying to humble himself, and the great Almighty God humbled himself so low that man can never get down that far. It's just not any. And you can see why that the kingdom of God is so misunderstood to the haughty, to the high-minded, to those who look at themselves as being some great something to the world. But we know that he reveals himself to those that will humble themselves before his plan. He's spoken of as the stone, of course, in the scripture. To the Jews, he was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, notice this is the exact same symbolism that Daniel sees him. And they look at him, the Jews identify him, and they said, Oh, my, there's no way this man will not have him to rule over us. Are you kidding? Our Messiah is not going to be coming from Nazareth and down in Jerusalem, born down there in that little old place called Bethlehem, the house of God's bread. His mother was a spouse to Joseph, and, and she conceived him out of holy wedlock. And for him to be king over us, no way. We'll not take that man to be our ruler, but we will, will we not? But yet to them, he was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But to the New Testament church, he was the foundation stone that the building, whole building of God is laid upon. So it all depends on who you are and how you relate to the rock of God. Now, he will fall on some people and crush them to powder. But if we fall on him, then we become broken and our nature becomes annihilated and we become part of the building. So it all depends upon how we relate to this great stone of Almighty God. The question is, how do you and I relate tonight? So here Dan Daniel sees this image now before the cross, and he sees it coming out of the mountain, not hewn out with hands, 
must have been so uh, perplexing to try <clears throat> to understand what does that even mean? How, how could it be? What is it? And it comes out, comes out of the mountain, comes rolling down through, hits the image in the feet, strikes it in the feet, the feet come busting all two pieces. The iron goes one way, the clay goes another, and when it does, the entirety of the image falls down into shreds of gold and silver and iron and clay, and there it lays smashed by what would seem to be an impossible rock. Now, it was not a mountain that hit it. It was not a gigantic boulder that was so big it would have took tractors and trailers and great big ute trucks and a crane, but simply a boulder that come rolling out of the heavens and hit it in the feet. But John then, rather, Daniel sees the same thing John does, and he watches as this stone begins to grow. What a, what a strange thing it would have been for a prophet as he's looking there and he sees a rock and this rock starts growing, growing and growing. What in the world? Well, why didn't God just come right out and tell him what he was? Because God runs his business the way he wants to. Now, when he come the first time, he did not destroy the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, it looked like that the Roman Empire had the upper hand on him because he died under capital punishment and the death that he died was a Roman death. It was not a Jewish death. The Jews did not crucify their people. The Cappadocians did not crucify their people. Many of the Gentile heathens did not crucify even the worst of criminals, but it was a Roman death. So it looked like that Rome had the, the higher upper hand, as we would say, and even the Roman seal, not the Jewish seal, not the Syrian seal, the Roman seal was what was on his tomb, and it looked like Rome absolutely had the upper hand. But we could go back to that tomb and see that he raised from the dead and broke the Roman seal, and he showed right there one day he would annihilate the Roman kingdom. Now, since that time, he and his servants have been hitting the Roman kingdom up one side and down the other. Now, they have had certainly a dominion in the earth, and they will get a mixture in the last days, and they will mix with the seed of man, which is the representation of the clay in the feet. So it's in the feet, and it runs down to the ten toes, which will be the, the resurrection of the old Roman Empire in the Ottoman powers. So they will rule as kings, but they won't be crown kings, which is a dictator. So there was five toes on each foot, which will be the ten kingdoms that, that John saw in the book of Revelation. Thank God a lot of this won't happen till the bride is already gone. But we need to lay this out so you can see what's coming in your future. So he comes first, and he does certainly take a lick upon the Roman Empire. And then the Roman Empire smites him and makes him to die. And they think, of course, that they've got him. So the first coming of Christ was not this falling of the stone that Daniel saw in this vision. But it was the coming of the messianic prophecy of Psalm 22. 
Now remember how we love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We all learned it when we went to Sunday school. But I know that you're aware of it, that Psalm 22 precedes Psalm 23. And Psalm 22, which is the Messianic Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All my bones, they stare at me. So the Messianic Psalm 22 is what leads him to the victorious place to become the answer to be your shepherd of Psalm 23. You see, the Lord Jesus would never have been able to be your shepherd of Psalm 23 had he not fulfilled Psalm 22. You understand your life and my life comes the same way sometimes. We want to be a great victorious church. We want to be an overcoming church. We want to be a great conquering church. But before we can ever be that comes trials, tests, tribulation, is that right? Hardship, difficulty, do we like it? Nope, I don't like it a bit more now than I did when I first got saved. I don't like tests. I don't like trouble. Do y'all like it any better? I don't like it. Boy, if you do, pray for me. I don't like it one bit better, but I know it's part of being a Christian. I have to have trials, but I'm always glad when they're over. I have to have valleys, but I'm always happy when I'm going out the other side. Anybody else feel the same way? I know, I know the prophet said you've got to have sickness in order to appreciate health, but I've got to say I do appreciate health better than I do sickness. And I think I would be fine if I never had another dose of sickness the rest of my life, if I never had another headache, if I never had another heartache, if I was never betrayed by another friend, I think I'd be fine. But yet we know it's part of the way this life works. Is that right? So what are we longing for? We're longing for that state of perfection when we will never have another trial. We know it's coming, and we know it's closer than it's ever been before. But we know until we arrive at that hour, we're going to have to fight hell. But let us just say it this way. We're going to fight hell, and we're not going to let hell get by with it because hell will pay as long as we are here. We believe we were born by the grace of God to torment, tormenting devils. We're not just meant to go through life and hang our head and just barely survive. Pray for me, I'll make it till Sunday. Oh no, that's not the way I look at it. I believe I was born to be such a son of God that when I get up in the morning, the devil says, dear God, here he comes. He didn't die during the night. A heart attack didn't take him. Oh no, another day was him on the earth. Yep, devil, here I come. Brother Donnie, does every day seem victorious? No, it doesn't. There's days I feel like I've totally lost. But you know what? I still hold my head up because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have disappointments. I have days I don't feel victorious. I have days I feel like, man, I don't think I made no dent in hell at all. But when it's all said and done, I didn't bow to the devil. I didn't bow to Laodicea. I'm still in love with Jesus. So whether I feel anything or not, that don't matter. Whether it feels like I overcome hell or not, that don't matter. Because at the end of the day, I'm still saved. I'm still sanctified. I've still got the Holy Ghost and hell. Hell trembles when I pray. Why well, would somebody would preach with me tonight? I ain't just talking about a, Christ, a preacher being that way, but when the weakest Christian gets down on their knees to pray, devils begin to shake and tremble because you have got power with God. Oh, you say, I don't feel it. You don't have to feel it. It's because of what he's done in you by the new birth. You've already got this rock inside of your soul. 
Hallelujah. So the first coming was not the stone kingdom. So it awaits in the future at the second advent of our Lord. Notice now in verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2. In the days of these kings. Now Daniel was like some of the other prophets. That God would show him a condensed form sometimes of a vision. Like chapter 2 here. And then he would send him over to chapter 7. And he would expound a little bit more on it. Then he'd go to chapter 10. And he would go to bringing in the he goat. And he'd bring in the two horns. And he would prophesy about Antiochus Epiphanes. And he would go to all these symbols of a goat and a he ram. And all that sort of thing. And he bounced kind of back and forth. And prophets could only say, of course, as God gave it to him. But notice this in, in chapter 2. In the days of these kings. So again, we come back to a certain time frame. So the Lord Jesus could not come as the mighty messianic king that the Jews are looking for. They were looking for the son of David. So it was a dispensational title and they had it in the wrong dispensation. They did not understand that he must come first as son of man, then come back on the day of Pentecost as the son of God, and then in the millennium, he would come as son of David. Is that right? But what they're looking for, and you know, you can't really blame them because they would take the prophet's quotes of the Old Testament. They would take Genesis 3.15. They would take Haggai 2.7, Zechariah 14.7. They would take Zephaniah. They would take, uh, you know, so many of those things and they would put them together. And you can see why they were looking for a mighty king. So when he was born a poor baby, born wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, there's no way that fit with their idea. There's no way that fit was what they had always been taught. They're looking for a son of David to come riding on a big white horse and he's going to knock down all Rome and he's going to give Israel back their homeland and the Romans are going to die. And here he comes pushed from pillar to post, a weak looking sort of a guy. This is what caused John the Baptist to doubt. John introduced him. He said, he's coming and he's going to have a mild, big flame in his hand, a fan, and he's going to fan down through there and the chaff is going to come blowing away. Where's John, where's John quoting from? The scripture we just read in the book of Daniel. So John said, boy, when he comes, I'm telling you what, everybody better get out of his way. And when he comes, they push him over this way and they push him over that way. And he stands up there. My, he was humble and poor and didn't have no kingdom, didn't have no horses, didn't have no soldiers. And his army was fishermen, ignorant and unlearned, couldn't even sign their own name. And John the Baptist sent some of his followers and said, ask him if he's the one or have I messed up? Should, should we look for another? You imagine the man who introduced him. Now, Lord willing, we'll get to that. Lord willing, maybe on Sunday morning. But John actually had a breakdown inside the prison. And John is looking at what looks like reality to him. And it does not look like the Lord Jesus is this messianic prophecy. He just can't believe that that's him. So Jesus said, hang around for a while and go back and tell John what you saw. Once you notice, he didn't say, we're polishing our swords. We're getting our helmets ready. We're getting all of our shields ready. But he said, tell him what you saw. The blind see. 
and the lame are walking and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So you imagine whenever he comes back, then it hits John. Oh, I see. I had the dispensation place wrong. I was taking the scriptures of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and I was applying the stone kingdom when it was not the stone kingdom. It's the spirit indwelling kingdom. That's where it's at. Oh, okay, I see it now. So John could go right on and let them chop his head off and knew that he had introduced the Messiah at the right time. You see, God's dispensations aren't always visible to the unlearned. They're not always visible to the carnal mind of man. And this is why it takes revelation. And the church said, now watch, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. In the days of those kings, the particular prophecy of the kings of Daniel chapter 2. Now this, of course, was not in the advent of our Lord at his first coming which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. Now, what Daniel is unfolding into King Nebuchadnezzar, coming on to the book of Daniel here, is that it came from the Babylonians, and it's going to go to the Medo-Persians, then it'll go to the Greeks, and then it'll go to the Romans. So what's it doing? It's going from one people to another people to another people, but Daniel sees in this vision, when this kingdom comes, it will not be turned over from the people of Christ to somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else but once Christ ever gets this stone kingdom it will never be turned over to anybody else it'll be his and his only from that time so that's who you're serving tonight notice and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms and it shall stand forever so other kingdoms were raised by what human ambitions human ambitions. So one king would get this ideology about himself. He was the greatest king of kings and oh my he was the great this and that and the other and it would go from one man to another man, a man with an ambition, a man with an ideology that he was supposed to do this and that and the other but the kingdom of God is not established any such way. Now what's really sad is is when you see preachers that get inside and in and around this kingdom of God and they go to bring in the mannerisms of the old Gentile world or the kingdoms. And they think God is looking for men who have ambition. No, God is looking for men who will lose their own ambition and tie in with the ambition of God. Well, I've always wanted to be this and I've always wanted to be that. Well, more than likely, God will never use nothing you always wanted to be. God will get rid of that and make you what he wants you to be. Well, praise the Lord. But you see what many people do, they fall right in the way of the Gentile kings before them and they fulfill the repeat of what Daniel saw and they bring it into every move of God that's been down through the church ages. I hate to say it, but it's right around our message as well. You take a man with an ego, a man that wants to be a big this and that and the other and you watch trouble, will find him. He'll split, he'll splinter, he'll divide. He's got this ego, he's got this thing. Oh, don't get quiet on me. God ain't looking for for song leaders and for musicians and singers that's got this great ego about themselves. God wants people to say, Lord, I can't do it. Lord, I I don't know what to say. I I ain't no speaker, Lord. I ain't no great singer, Lord. I'm not a great musician. If you can use me, use me, Lord. But I can't do nothing on my own. 
Oh, but be afraid of them. Hey, glory to God, let me get it here. Hey, yeah, that boy. We're, we're, we're not voting on something. We're not auctioning something off. We're looking for people who want to die to their own ideas, their own agendas, their own motives, and become part of the greatest kingdom that ever will be on the face of the earth. Now notice, so it will not be left to other people. So we are the finale of all the kingdoms of the world. Notice in verse 45, for as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. So there was no hands that was in here. So it wasn't like that the people cut it out and the denominations cut it out and the systems cut it out. And with these overseers and this bishop and this and that and the other. No, it was not cut out by men. Let me tell you something, friend. If our church is made by man, It'll only be a matter of time. It will collapse. Any church that is started because a man has an ambition, it may go five years, it may go ten, but it will run its course because God's true church is not started by any man. The way I look at it, years and years and years ago before you all ever knew me and before I ever knew you, whenever this church had its original roots over on Roan Hill, some of you all were there, I wasn't, and that was not them people that wanted to start that church. I believe it was God that led them to start that church. Then when it moved over to Happy Valley, changed the name and took on a different look and a different building and the ministry changed down through the years, I don't think it was them people that wanted to do that. I believe it was the Lord that did it. So you see, when Satan attacks a church that God himself set up, then the people ain't really attacking you. They're not attacking me. They're attacking God himself. Now, there's a difference in God starting a church and men starting a church. And there ain't no question about it. A lot of men down through the ages have started churches. But the Bible tells me, except the Lord build the house, those who build it labor in vain. So myself, I ain't looking for a man-made church. I ain't looking for a man-made system. I want a God-made church. I want a God-made mountain that I can run to. And, oh, I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. I want to be able to confide in something that is stronger than man. The strongest preacher in this message, the man with the greatest gifts, the man who has the greatest ability to speak, I still don't want to tie my soul to any human being. All men will let you down. All men will disappoint you. There's only one place that you can put your ultimate confidence and that's in the rock of our salvation the Lord Jesus. Not Donnie Reagan. Not some other man. The stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter? And the dream is certain and the interpretation sure. Now notice again Daniel seven thirteen, And I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man. Now watch this, the son of man. You can imagine what the Jews, when they hear the Lord Jesus use this term when he comes to the earth. It ain't no wonder they got so mad. Now, this is a common term to us, son of man. We've heard it for years. But can you imagine being a Jew? You only knew that reference was used in Daniel and in Ezekiel and a few of the prophets. And here stands this man with an illegitimate birth, supposedly. A poor tramp. No schooling, no education. 
And he stands up and calls himself the son of man. You imagine them looking at him with anger and furious son of man. Who does he think he is? That was referred to Daniel and Ezekiel. The son of man. The son of man was the one that stood by the most high God. Who does this man think he is? It wasn't who he was thinking he was. It's who he knew he was. Now watch Daniel sees the merging together of his humanity and his divinity. What's the terms that he uses? One like the Son of Man. Now here's his humanity. The word son in the Hebrew is ben. So B-E-N. So it would be so-and-so the ben of Donnie. Or so-and-so the ben of John, which was son of. So this name identified the tabernacle of God. As the son of man. Isn't it amazing? The son of man. So he takes upon himself this title. The son of man. Oh God help us. But notice where Daniel sees him. The son of man came with clouds of heaven. And came to the ancient of days. So he sees the visible appearance of what it looks like a human being surrounded in clouds. And then this human being surrounded in clouds goes and walks into the presence of the mighty Elohim, the eternal himself. And Daniel says, how can that be? A man ever to walk into the presence of the mighty God. So Daniel's looking and he sees the merging together of his humanity and his deity. And he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near. So here comes the cherubims and the seraphims. And who are they? They are the ones who stopped the approach. Remember God telling Lucifer that. Thou art the anointed cherub and I have set thee so. The anointed cherub was the one who stopped the approach. Lucifer in heaven was God's right-hand man. Any other angels of lower degree that approached the throne of Elohim, Lucifer would have walked up before them before he fell. And he would have stopped them because he stopped the approach. And if Elohim allowed the angels to come, they came through the gate or the entrance of Lucifer. He had a great position. But in his pride, he got lifted up because he felt like he could do a whole lot more than what God was letting him do. <laughs> oh, boy. And here Daniel sees this son of man. Doesn't know him by name now. He never was allowed to mention the name of Jesus. But he sees him as a son of man. And he sees as he approaches and then someone, angelic beings come and get this what looks like a human, just a mere human. 
And Daniel standing there saying, how can this be immortal? And he's surrounded by clouds, heavenly witnesses. And he comes up to the approach of the Ancient of Days and the cherubims and the seraphims and the zooms. And they come and they meet him at the gate. And they take him into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. So his humanity being the Son of Man. His deity being declared by the way he traveled. Hallelujah. His humanity was the title of son of man. But his divinity was revealed by the way he traveled. So will yours be after a while. You see, millions of people have died. Billions of them down through time. And they've left the earth by the channel of death. But one thing that separates the seed of God from the rest of other human beings is the means that they travel. You see, they don't go to paradise. They do not go to Sheol. They go into that sixth dimension and there they wait. They go into a theophany body. So it identifies they also are from deity. Hope you understand it tonight. There's a part of you that's just as human as it can be. We all can say amen to that, can't we? But if you're born again tonight of the Holy Ghost, there is a part of deity that lives inside of you and I. It ain't the deity that causes our problems. It ain't the deity that causes our difficulties. Somebody say amen. It is our humanity. It is our old flesh. It is our old human spirit. Oh my. But one of these days I will be identified who I truly am. It'll be by the way I travel. By the way I travel. Amen. Hallelujah. For what did Paul say? That by by the grace of God we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye for the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be changed and we are going to be caught up You'll be known by the way you travel. You won't have to have a plane ticket. You won't have to have a space shuttle ticket. You'll be known by your true identity that you are part of deity. You are going to travel the way he traveled. You are sons of men and daughters of men, but one day you're going to be identified in the clouds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll be identified by our theophany body. You see, John seeing the same thing whenever he sees him in Revelation 1.8. But here Daniel sees him Veiled not in thunderheads, not in wispy white clouds, but in Shekinah, or the Hebrew word Shekinah. He sees him surrounded by the Shekinah of God. He thinks, how can any man ever be surrounded by the Shekinah glory of God? If we could look beyond our veil tonight, every person that's in this building filled with the Holy Ghost, you've already got a part of that Shekinah yourself. Is that right? Oh, my. You see, our Lord Jesus used this term when he came to the earth 82 times in the four Gospels. 82. 
two times. Apparently, he wanted somebody to know who he was. Well, I'm glad I'm one of them somebodies. Now, he could have called himself so many things, and yet he chose to reveal himself as son of man. Of course, we realize that the, the appearance of him in the last days, Luke 17, 30, is what causes such confusion again because people take the same title and they think it applies to the Lord Jesus in the reappearing of his own corporal body. But the revealing of the Son of Man of Luke 17, 30 is not the second coming in his corporal body. It's his second coming in the revealing of the Son of Man. Not his corporal body. When that comes, that will be the rapture. Praise the Lord. But truly, as it was in the days of Sodom, thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is being revealed. Is that right? And then, of course, in verse 30, he tells us all of that. And then he reminds us down below there, remember Lot's wife. It was in the revealing of the Son of Man when he made himself known to Abraham. And Lot and his wife left the message. They left the message and went to Sodom. Isn't it amazing? Jesus never did say, remember Abraham's wife, remember Jacob's wife, remember Isaac's wife, remember Joseph's wife, but why did he say, remember Lot's wife? It was a sign in the last days. Look around, we are seeing Mr. and Miss Lot pulling away from the message of the hour, and what's he saying to us? Remember Lot's wife. Why? He don't want you to be identified with that. He don't want me to be identified with that. But what are we doing? We're staying right there, hallelujah, with the original message of the hour. We are not leaving our oak tree in the plains of memory. We are there waiting on God. Oh, it may get hot, it may get dry, there may be and there may be trials, but I'd rather have a hot day in the plains of Shechem than I would living down there in the well-watered plains of, of Jericho or living down there near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can have Sodom. You can have Gomorrah. Give me Jesus. You can have the world. You can have Laodicea. Give me Jesus. If I've got to live up here under this oak tree, I'll do it. I'll do it. Let it get dry. Let it get hot. Let it get difficult. But give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. He's all I need. Watch the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24, 27. For as a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west. Cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So it will come from the east to the west. And of course, people have quoted this for years and years since he said it 2,000 years ago. And they're looking for this to be applied at his second bodily coming. That's not son of man. That's crown king, son of God. <laughs> so the son of man coming. Can't you see why Satan wants to take you away from your inheritance? He's trying to get you out of your inheritance. What is our inheritance? Our promised land is the message of the hour. 
feeding on heavenly manna, baptized in the Holy Ghost by the Spirit of God. And how will we be identified? By the way we travel. So you see in the days of Luther, it was horse and buggy. As it moved on up, it moved beyond that and come on up to the airplane age. But we're beyond the airplane now. Well, you know, the other day, whenever the FAA, one of our brothers told me here last night that it took him about 30 hours to travel from out in Tucson because the FAA had a glitch in their software. Well, that's kind of the way it is with a lot of these churches around, ain't it? They've got a glitch in their software. Well, headquarters say we can't preach this no more and that no more. I'm so glad I ain't got no software to get glitches because if you got it, you no doubt will get glitches. Come on, say Amen. But I'm so glad that we are hooked up straight into heaven and we don't have to go through no heavenly, oh glory, no earthly headquarters, but we've got a heavenly tie and we ain't got some scientist sitting back somewhere to say, you know, well, you can't say men or women no more. We can. I know a lot of them don't know what a man is and what a woman is. They call it an it or a shim or a herm or a whatever they call them. But my Bible still identifies male and female. Well, come on, preach, Brother Donnie. I'm going to. My Bible still identifies there is a church and there is a bride. There is a first resurrection and there is a second resurrection. And you are going to be identified by which one you leave in and which one you get up in. Notice Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him. They brought him near before him. And there was given. (laughs) You see, the Trinitarians were wrong, and the Jesus only were wrong too. But the truth always lays in the middle of the road. Now, I was Trinitarian years ago. And I came from that side of the ditch, and I became a Jesus only. Now, the sad thing about it is we have a lot of message folks that are Jesus only, but because they never was in Pentecost, they don't know what Jesus only is. So when they hear you preach the divinity of the Lord Jesus, they're with you, but it stumbles them when you preach his humanity. They cannot take him when you say, sit there and groan with a headache. Why? They're Jesus only. So I used to preach. I used to believe Jesus was his own father. I believe that Jesus was at all. Don't you come and tell me now then. I remember years and years ago, Harry remembers the meeting where we was at. And there's one of the brothers that we fellowship with, and he began to see a little bit of light in this. Truth may be known. He may have stumbled on it in the message. Because I found out a lot of the people I was preaching for, they secretly was reading the message of the hour. I'd hear him preach, kinsman, redeemer. I'd hear him, my, my, brother King, a man down in Yeager, West Virginia. And I'd hear that man, he'd preach about Ruth, and he'd preach about Boaz, and he'd preach about, I'd say, where in the world is that man getting that? Well, I found out where he was getting it. I found out where some of them guys that I was fellowshipping with got it. But you know what? Once they found out that I found out, they didn't want nobody else to find out what I found out. 
So they sure didn't want me telling where they got their resource. Well, I'm the kind of man, I want to let you know where I found this out. I didn't find it out in any organized religion. I didn't find it out from my daddy, God bless him. I didn't find it out from my uncle, from my grandpa. I found it out from the prophet that spoke up by Malachi 4. And I want to point you to that same way. And you need to be feeding right there on that same message. Mm. So they bring the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days. And then there's given him, who? The Son of Man. Now, the millennium is the continuing of what God said in the seventh day in the Garden of Eden. Adam called God out of his Shabbat in the Garden of Eden. And God put his millennium on hold. So no individual has ever lived to be a thousand years old. But they will in the millennium. So the millennium is the old Sabbath. The seventh day of the Old Testament. Now what's this? And there was given him dominion. So who? Given who? The Son of Man. Who is who? The Lord Jesus. Hmm. Remember when Jesus stands and says, after his resurrection, all power has been given unto me. Show me where he says that before he dies. <laughs> You'd be better off to spend more time into the holy book instead of Facebook. Praise the Lord. Oh, I just throw that in for good measure. No charge. You see, he could not stand and say that until he had completed the atonement. Then all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Now watch. There was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom given to him. How could you give something to someone who already has it? What is this? It's the sonship of God. Not another God. Not another person. The same God in human form. Or is that, Brother Darnie, that confuses me. Why? Why should it? You've got a soul. You've got a spirit. You've got a body. Have you ever seen your soul? Anybody here ever seen your soul? What about anybody else's soul? Have you ever seen your spirit? Have you ever seen anybody else's spirit? What do you know most of? Your body. Right? Why is that confusing? And yet, you take my spirit out of my body, my gray matter, all that matter will still be in my brain. I will not be able to reason. I will not be able to think. I will not be able to have a conscience. Why? Because my spirit contains those five inlets, and it runs in on my brain matter, runs in the cerebral, the stem down through the back and all that. It tells me what's to do. So when a person goes out of their mind, what do they lose? Part of that spirit. That's what's the matter this crazy age that we're living in. They've gone out of their mind. Their spirit's all messed up. Well, praise the Lord. And yet, whenever the Lord Jesus come to the earth, what was he? He come from the heart of God. I came forth from God, and I go back to God. So what was he? 
He was that invisible part. Who is the Father God? The invisible. God's not an old man sitting in heaven. You don't find that in your Bible. When John looked in the book of Revelation, he said, I saw one and one throne. There wasn't a big throne and a big old man on it, another little guy sitting over here, and another little guy called the Holy Ghost over there. If there's another God in heaven beside the Lord Jesus, he's sitting on the floor because John only saw one throne. There ain't no big throne and no little throne. There's only one throne, and he's the one sitting on it. Don't you understand in the millennium, he's given this dominion. Don't you understand also in Corinthians where he said when it's all said and done, he will turn it all back over into that great invisible light that God may be all in, all and there will be the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne in the seventh day and in the eighth day as well surrounded by what? Father God which has never been seen and never will be. That's a direct quote. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people Nations and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So in the millennium will be nations and peoples. Ethiopians, Sioux Indians, Cheyenne, Blackfeet, Europeans, black, white, red, Chinese, Japanese, all kinds of nationalities in the millennium. Praise the Lord. Notice verse 25. And he shall speak great words. Now here we come back into the movie of the Antichrist. Against the Most High and shall wear out. Boy, I can sure identify with this. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. How many ever just gets wore out with life? Just things you deal with from day to day. It ain't like you're quitting. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing the backslide. Oh, I'm going back to the world. Oh, a real child of God filled with the Holy Ghost. They ain't going back to no world. There ain't no world in them. But they do get wore out. They get wore out with struggling and they get wore out with sickness and disease and battles and one disappointment out of another. But I want you to notice that Daniel never said that he ever got one of them saints. He just said he wears them out. Well, I think of it, it ought to be the other day that we ought to wear him out too. I'll tell you one thing, as long as I'm here on the earth, I don't want the devil sitting down there in hell with a big glass of sweet tin or strawberry moon pie laying on the other side of his recliner saying, well, Donnie's up there. He ain't causing me no trouble. I want, I want hell to know that I've lived. I want hell to know that I've been on the earth. But, Brother Donnie, you're an old man. Yeah, but I'm still kicking. And I want to be like old Uncle Buddy Robinson. I'll tell you what, I'm going to stay here because I'm so full of the power of God. And I'll gnaw on him. If I lose my teeth, I'll gnaw on him with my gums. And I'll be left here. Whatever I've got left, I'm going to make him pay. If I roll out here in a wheelchair and I can only say, hallelujah, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And y'all sit there and look at me and say, poor old feller. Don't poor old feller me. I want to keep on saying it because I know one day it'll change me back to a young man. I will be revealed by the way I travel. I'm fixing to travel like a fault. Forget the car. Forget the airplane. Forget the rocket. I want to travel like a soul. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Mm. 
and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change the times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Three and a half years. Time, singular, times, double. Oh my. And then we come down to three and a half years. But the judgment shall sit. Oh. And they shall take away his dominion. I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. (laughs) And they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And Satan wants to tell you, you ain't never going to get nothing. You ain't nobody. There ain't no need for you to even try. He can read this verse. He's been reading it a lot longer than I have. He's doomed. His days are numbered, but yours aren't. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. His days are numbered, but your days are not numbered. Notice what's going to happen. God will take away his kingdom and give it to the people of the saints of the Most High, the ones he's lied to. The ones he's telling why you're worthless, you're no good. You messed up so bad, God will never forget you. Why God don't love you, God don't care for you. And God saying, children, honey, I love you. You're my bride, I love you. I, I, I'm, I'm fixing to give you the whole thing. I'm going to give you the very kingdom. You're married to me already in invisible union. But before long, you're going to sit with me on my throne. You and I is going to rule together. Oh. Zechariah 6.12. Speak unto them, unto him rather, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. That's amazing to me when you look at the time frame how that God would sometimes have these prophecies. These prophets, Zechariah is one of them, Haggai too. But God would hide things that they would say, and they would prophesy about things that was going on right then, current events. And God would slip in a verse or a half a verse right in with the current events that was going to be 4,000 years down the road. And the devil read it just like a newspaper and went right over the top of it like a bunch of, bunch of theologians did. And this is one of them settings. Now remember, this is in the days when they are rebuilding the temple. This is one of the days whenever they're out there at the temple. So they're going to say, well, the man whose name is a branchman, who in the world was that? Who's he talking about? Joshua, who's he talking about? And God slid another messianic prophecy right in the middle of it. That's the way he likes to do you sometimes. 
He likes to set you right down in the middle of Napa Auto Parts and give you a job right there in the middle of it and you turn that whole parts store upside down. God likes to put you in the OR. God likes to put you in an office somewhere and every time you come in and sit down in that long skirt and that long hair and them bobbed haired painted face Jezebel sitting and they can't stand it. They don't realize there's a walk and a pistol walk right in among them and you're sitting there just as happy as a bee and a bunch of honey and you're typing away glory to God. He set me free. Yes, he set me free. You know they kind of snicker at you when you get up and walk out but you know you're bearing the reproach for the word and you know the Lord Jesus is on your side. Why should I worry? Why should I fear? The Lord Jesus has got his eye out on you children. You are the apple of his eye. And God just slides it right in there. So here's Zachariah. says, the man whose name is the branch. And people probably thought, oh boy. Who ever heard of calling a man after a tree branch? These prophets are so weird. They are so strange. We are so blessed to be able to understand such strange things, which must mean that we are strange also. But the way we look at it, we're looking back out from where we are, and we're looking at others and saying, what in the world is wrong with everybody else? They're out of their mind. And they're looking at us and saying, them people are crazy. They are totally loony tunes. They don't have a clue what in the world is going on. You might be surprised. We not only know what's going on, we know what's went on before the foundation of the world. We actually know a lot of things that's went on down through time. And furthermore than that, we know what's fixing to take place. And it might be right here tonight. It might be in the morning. But one of these days, we may be sitting together in the house of God, and it hits us. And all of a sudden, a 66-year-old pastor standing here, and about like a bolt of lightning strikes out of heaven, and I turn to be an 18-year-old man right in front of your eyes, and you turn to be 18 years old right in front of my eyes, and we know it ain't going to be long. We're fixing to be called up by the power of God. Why? Let them say what they want. Call us what they want to, but one day call us gone. Call us gone because we're going to be leaving this place. So the man whose name is the branch So I guess it shouldn't seem unusual to us that when the man whose name was the branch come on the earth and he started saying, I am the vine and ye are the branches. You imagine the polished theologians of that, they really think, the poor guy. I mean, you can tell he's from Happy Valley. You can tell the poor guy's a Kentuckian. I mean, you know, they're just kind of backwashed and ignorant and stuff like that. He's from down in Nazareth. And, I mean, who would call himself a vine and, and call his followers branches? The branch would. <laughs> we, we consider it a great honor to be called branches, don't we? I mean, because after all, the man whose name is the branch is calling me an offshoot of him. 
Oh, maybe you don't want to be called that. I couldn't be called nothing better. I'll tell you one thing. My name will not be in lights. Well, I guess this is about as bright as I'll ever get right here. My name won't be on the Hollywood's Walk of Fame. My name may not be here and there, and I really don't care, and I really don't want it to be, but the man whose name is the branch calls me a branch, so that means I'm an offshoot of the man himself. I am the vine and ye are the branches. And now he said, I don't no longer bring forth the fruit, but you all will. So you'll go in my name and you'll cast out devils and you'll heal the sick and you'll lay your hands on them and demons will come out of them because it'll be me in you continuing my same work. Notice this title of condescension. The man whose name is the branch, he shall grow. Wow. As I said, I hate to keep repeating it, but you can see why God has such a hard time dealing with human beings. Because they feel like they can't go no farther. They've reached the utopia. They're the ultimate. If they're society creatures, I mean, they are the society elite you know, if they're this, oh, I can go no farther, I can. But even he himself grew, Luke 2.52. Jesus grew in wisdom and understanding before God and man. How many wants to be like Jesus? Now notice the attribute that Zechariah attributes to him. Now remember the parallel of the time, what's going on here. Temple building time. Temple dedication time. And your Zechariah just speaks the word of the Lord and said, Now there's coming a man whose name is going to be the branch, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. So they're thinking, Well, is that Joshua? And remember, there was a Joshua during this time frame, not the Joshua in the days of Moses, but this Joshua. And there was also the high priest. He was the one that had on the dirty garments, and the angel of the Lord come and told him to, to make him clean. So God slid this prophecy right inside of there. You can see why there's sometimes people try to study the message of the hour, and they totally miss prophetic words. And they say, oh, he left out an end here, and he said this over there. They don't even understand you ever read the prophecy there in Isaiah whenever he talked about the mountain of the Lord and then you turn over to Micah chapter 4 verse 1 and read verses 1, 2, and 3? A lot of these people in the day we're living in would have considered them to be plagiaring one another's words because they were almost identical except when you come down to verse 3. So I guess they'd say that either Micah plagiarized Isaiah or Isaiah plagiarized Micah because they said the same thing. That's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. You see, Zerubbabel is now the builder of the temple, and the temple building is going on, and God just slides this prophetic word right in the middle of it, and they said, the, the man whose name is the branch, is that Zerubbabel? Is he the one he's talking about? <laughs> but he's not going to build a house made of stone, sheetrock, but he's going to build a body. He will build a temple of the Lord. Praise God. Aren't you glad we're part of it? As we started building this structure several years ago, two years ago I guess it was, planned on it for two years before that. And especially when we got into the sanctuary part and 
We needed people that could do this and do that and lay carpet and stain and build and, you know, build this beautiful piece of furniture. Brother John did that and Brother Dave laid stone, you know, and and Brother Scotty and Brother Dave Hunt run miles, hundreds and hundreds of feet of wire all all above your heads and everywhere. It seemed like every person, every job you needed, there was somebody there to be able to do it. And that's the way it is in the body of God when we find our place. And we'll all be synchronized together. Now, Zerubbabel could not build a temple like this. Solomon could not build a temple like this. Hold tight. Brother Branham could not build a temple like this. Paul could not build it. Only the man whose name was the branch could build this house of God. Oh, don't you love him? You see, the divine architect who made such a beautiful world also had in his mind another temple which would be the house of God, and he planned this divine structure himself. So everything is specified and preordained. And remember, as it was in the days of Solomon, that they took and they used the cedars of Lebanon, and they would get craftsmen from Tyre, and they would get craftsmen from different parts of the world, and they hewed these stones out of the quarries there in different parts of the world, and they brought them there to Mount Moriah where Abraham was going to offer his son, and there wasn't even the sound of a hammer in that building. Some of you come over here whenever this place was in the construction stage. Some days we couldn't even talk to one another. Yeah, well, what did you say? We'd have to holler. So much noise going on. Nail guns, you know, hammers, air compressors, this going on, that going on. But can you imagine the house that Solomon built? Every stone was pre-cut. Some of this trim and some of this stuff here, these brothers would go to the saw and cut it. Cut it long, of course, a good trim man does. And then he'd come back, take a 16th off, take another 16th off, take an 8th off. Why? Because you want it too short. You got a big long piece, you'll ruin that thing if you take too much off at one time. Don't you know that's what God's doing to us? We're saying, well, why don't he get that great big sledgehammer and just knock everything off? If he did that to us, he'd scare us to death. Some of us spiritually is about the size of that piano. And when God gets done with us, we're going to be about like this right here. You would imagine if God took a sledgehammer and knocked you down that big, he said, Lord have mercy, oh God, no. don't throw all that at me away. You're showing away my best parts. He said, that ain't nothing but junk, son. That ain't nothing but trash. It ain't never going to weigh you down. I'm going to get you down there to the right side. You say, you mean, Brother Donnie, the Lord may make me that small? That's a great blessing. If, if, if you're made that small, that means you're the only one that can fit that certain pot. Nobody else can take your place. I, I, I don't want to be jealous of preachers. I've never been jealous a preacher. I'm not a great preacher. I know that. I never will be. Too old for that achievement now. But you know what? There ain't a man in this message that can take my place. There ain't a singer in this message that can take your place. And don't you come here and say, well, nobody knows me. I'm not needed. If God placed you in our assembly, you are needed and nobody can take your place. You need to assume that responsibility and say, Lord, I'm going to be there every time I can. Oh. You see what he does? He collects the material. He'll take a Rahab, a Tamar. He'll take a Bathsheba. He'll take a Ruth. He'll take an Eve, a Mary, a Sarah, a Rebecca. Hallelujah. He'll put them together. He'll make one an evangelist, fiery evangelist, not Brother Darrell. 
He'll make another evangelist like Brother John and Brother Jonathan coming up here and Brother Joel Brown, different ministers around the world that he's made, call them in different ways, give them diversities of gift, sets them inside the body. They just find that spot and be what God wants them to be. Don't be jealous of one another. Well, well I, don't, I don't get to preach but once every now and then. Well, maybe you're once every now and then preacher. It ain't everybody in a brother that can preach three times a week. Let me tell you that right now. It ain't everybody that's called to be a convention speaker. And some that don't preach conventions are jealous of those who are. You ought to walk in that man's shoes and feel the burden that he feels. It might change your desire to want to preach a convention. But we can only be what God has made us. You see these stones right here? These stones right here? A great craftsman laid them. That man right there. Every mason has his own style. I started laying this one over here. I said, Brother Dave, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to finish it. He said, Brother Donnie, it'll be right there waiting on you. I ain't finishing it. You know why? Every craftsman, every mason has his own style. And if you had an eye for masonry, you would see where Brother Dave stopped and where I started. Unless he mimics my style or I mimic his. So Brother Dave started this, he finished it. Brother Dave started that, he finished it. I started that, I finished it. The Lord Jesus started you, he's going to finish it. The Lord Jesus started his church, he's going to finish it. It ain't going to him start it, me finish it, this man no sir, and the devil is not going to destroy it. My machine sat right there for days on end, full of stone, full of all of my tools, but I couldn't come back because I had to do pastoral duty. Really, I am pastoral because I'm laying stones too. And that they would not touch us. I said, Come on, no, I ain't doing that. That's yours. Well, that's the way it is with our work in God. Brother Darrell can't take my place. I can't take his. You can't take somebody else's, and nobody else can take yours. But there's people better than me. Oh, yeah, I understand. I say the same thing. Even if they are better. The Lord God ordained me to fit that certain spot. There ain't another stone out there in the world that can take my place or yours. So the Lord God collects his material. He walked by some honky-tonks. He walked by some coal denominational churches. He walked by some pig pens. He walked by all kinds of things, collecting material. Praise God. Walked by one day and found a little boy packing water to a moonshine still. And the Lord said, it's time to wake him up of a deposit. I've got to work for him. So he appears on the top of that tree and that little boy drops that bucket of water and heads out there scared to death. What's God doing? Getting ready to collect the material. You see, God may take a mighty man, a great prophet of God, and use him to reach the entire world and him influence millions of people's lives. And God may take one of you and you'll lead one to the Lord. It may be your son or your daughter. And you think, I've never done anything for God. What? That one soul is worth millions of worlds. Don't you never say you've never done nothing for God. You housewives saying, well, I ain't no preacher. I ain't never prophesied. I ain't never done nothing like that. But you've been a good wife, haven't you? You've been a good mother. You, oh, Brother Donnie, I made mistakes. Sure, like all the rest of us have. But you serve God with all of your heart. 
You be a good housewife. You be a good mother. You be a good preacher's wife. Whatever it is, and I'll tell you one thing. When that preacher stands before the Lord God that day, you'll stand right there with him. And all the world, the saints of God, will bear witness that you've stood with that servant of God. Oh, oh, children. Notice this, and God's provided place of worship for prophet. Speaking about this living stones, a new creation, not to a denomination, but to the Word. You're a creation of the Word because the foundation stone was laid in you before the foundation of the world. Predestinated to be sons and daughters of God, and upon this comes stone upon stone in each age. I've stood there at the pyramids of Giza. I've stood at the step pyramid. I've stood at those pyramids of Egypt and they stand there and you look at those massive stones and think, how did they do it? How did they do it? And of course, what we see now is a far cry from what it was because they said it was actually covered in a white limestone. So the whole outside was slick and polished white limestone. And that, that sun shining down on that, it must have been absolutely incredible. It still is to this day when you walk up and see such a thing. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm looking tonight at something that's even more incredible. Oh, it's amazing to stand there. As I told you a few years ago, whenever Carol and I stood there in Jerusalem and see some of those stones, and I just saw a video the other day of another one where they'd found and they dug that thing down. One stone, 40 feet long, Brother Jerry. One stone hewn out around Jerusalem there somewhere and they took some type of chisels or something and cut like a Roman OG sign in that stone all the way around four inch perimeter on the top and the sides and the bottom. And you've got that thing about seven feet tall and about seven feet wide and 40 feet long. One stone, not poured concrete, one stone. Then you've got others, it's about like this. Then you got people like me that's, I'm about like a splinter stone, I guess. But as long as I'm a stone, I'm going to come out punching. Look out, devil, here I come. I ain't worried about my size. I just want to make sure I come from the man whose name is the branch. I'm a part of the rock kingdom. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to beat. I'm going to thrash. I'm going to whoop up on the devil as long as I've got a chance and an opportunity. Anybody with me tonight? I don't have to be as big as Brother Ron Spencer. I don't have to do what Brother Tim does. That's not who I am. My name is Donnie, in case y'all forgot it. My last name is Reagan, in case you forgot it. And I'm going to chew on that devil. I'm going to kick him. I'm going to stomp him. I'm going to do whatever I can do to make hell pay. Well, praise the Lord. You young people, quit comparing yourself to this man or that man or that young man. He's my idol. Don't make any person your idol. Make the Lord Jesus the one you look to. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, don't you love him tonight? Thank God for his grace to us. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you tonight, mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You understand, friends, we're in that transition between the coming of the Son of Man 
and that advent when he will take away his bride. What's been going on now? For 2,000 years, it was under the dispensation of the Son of God, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why Son of God? God is a spirit. What does Son of Man mean? Son or Ben of a man. What is Holy Ghost? Son of God. God himself condescending in the form of sonship for 2,000 years, seven church ages, under that reign of Son of God, building an invisible kingdom in the hearts of his people. And then right down in the end time before the opening of the seals, he slips down as a revealing of the Son of Man. Praise God. Now remember that prophetic ministry ended the man. But the Son of Man, Christ Jesus, is still here. Now I hope you don't get mad at me. If you do, I don't really care because it's the truth anyhow. That pillar of fire is still here. That Lord Jesus is still here. He's right here with us tonight. He's with his people all over the whole world. He is here. When he leaves, we leave with him. Praise God. So what's he doing? Polishing the stones. Getting everything ready for this great body. You see, John saw it coming down. But he's looking at the end of the the Feast of Tabernacles. The millennium. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. But Paul says, this one is going up. What is it? It's the pyramid of God. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, all that down through the church ages. God building a building. And what's he going to do in the resurrection? He's going to resurrect this entire pyramid and take it up in the first resurrection. And then whenever he comes back and we set upon the earth in the millennium reign and the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and the law will go forth, the Torah will go forth from Jerusalem, Micah 4, 1 to 3. And where will it set? Upon the Mount of God, Mount Zion. Oh, praise the Lord. Then the spiritual pyramid of the body, the bride, will come right back down and set down where? On Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Don't you understand? There's no way for you to lose. You're winners. Praise be to God. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Anyone like to be remembered tonight as we pray? Anything that's just hindering you in your life, your walk, you just don't have the victory that you want to have or something besetting you or something bothering you, maybe a sickness in your body or Whatever it is, you just need strength. You just think, Brother Donnie, that rung true to me tonight, that scripture about the devil wearing out the saints. I got to be honest, friends. I feel wore out sometimes just dealing with life. You just feel so worn out. Does that mean you're going to quit? Goodness, no. You ever work real hard in the day, especially when it's hot? And the heat just takes it out of you, and you've sweated, and you've sweated, and you've drank and tried to intake your fluid level and all of that, and you just feel so worn out at the end of the day. And what are you looking for? You're looking to go home. That don't mean you ain't never coming back again. You're just longing for the end of the day. This is what we feel as the bride. It ain't that we're quitting. It ain't we're going back to the world. My goodness, why in the world would I want to go back to that hog slop? That old mess of the world. I'm just getting tired at the end of the day. I'm weary. I'm hot. I'm sweaty as it was, Brother Louie. 
just tired and your hands are feeble, as the Bible says. Lift up the hands that are feeble that hang down. Your spirit gets weary. Your mind gets weary. Sometimes you can develop a weary attitude. But that don't mean we're ready to quit. It just means we're ready to go home. But maybe we might need a little bit of recharging tonight. Home might be tomorrow for some of you. It might be tomorrow for me. But if it ain't till next week or next month, I don't know when it'll be. But I want to be ready. And I want to stay energized. You think that little energizer battery is something? My goodness, you and I ought to be way more than that little energized bunny. You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. They put them little batteries in that little guy, and he goes down through there beating that drum. We ought to be even way more than that is. Because we've got the original energizer, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let's just pray, can we? Not only those in the visible audience, but those that are streaming, wherever you are tonight. Heavenly Father, we're just praying tonight for your strength and your grace. Lord, as Zechariah prophesied in those days, and we know from the story of Ezra and the stories there during that time frame that they was dealing with such opposition and such difficulty to build the wall and to build the foundations of the house and, and to bring it all up. It was one battle after another after another. Then, Lord, we should not be confounded when we look around and say, why is it such a struggle? Why is there such a battle? Satan has always hated the construction of the house of God. We know what a time we've had just building this natural building, trying to meet this requirement and that requirement and this stipulation and that stipulation just to be able to get in here, just the natural side. How much more that spiritual dwelling of the house of God. Then Satan will try to discourage. He'll try to wear us out as it were. Oh, but Jesus, we pray tonight you'd come this way, Lord. Visit us in a special way with your presence, Father. May you bring encouragement tonight, Lord. Maybe to every preacher, Lord, to every deacon. Lord, some of these brothers and sisters have contributed so much of their strength and their time. Father, many of these brothers have come and worked in the midnight hour donated their time, took time away from their wives and their children themselves to be able to make this all work together. Some come early but the crack of dawn. Oh, I pray you'd bless every one of them, Father. Bless every one of them. Some, Lord, maybe they don't have any ability like that, but they've donated and donated, Lord, people that stream the services, even though many of them know they'll never be able to set a foot in this service, but they have sent thousands and thousands of dollars because they believe this is the work of God. And they want to be identified and supporting where they get their food. I pray you bless every one of them, Lord God. Oh, Jesus, would you come, Father, and just strengthen your people. That old devil would like to wear us out. He'd like to wear me out, Lord. He'd like to wear Brother Darrell out. He'd like to wear out Brother Louie. He'd like to wear us out as far as just getting weary. No wonder the Bible tells us, be not weary in well-doing. Father, I, I don't care what you want me to be. I don't want to be big. I don't want to be important. I'm not gifted like a lot of men are. But whatever you can use me for, Jesus. Maybe I've got a tiny little spot in the kingdom. Some of them stones I put in that column over there, I can still remember the size of them. 
an inch and a quarter by two and a half, and some of the brothers cutting them for me so I wouldn't have to get down. And they would cut them and throw them up to me, and I'd stick them in, and I'd call out the measurement, make me a three and a half by an eight and a half, or make me this and that. Brother Dave did the same thing because we had something in our mind. And them little stones are important. They fill a spot. Lord God, may every stone in this building tonight realize we don't need to compare ourselves to somebody else. What we need to do is compare ourselves to your vision of our life. If you want me to be a little stone, I'm perfectly fine with that. But Lord God, help my life to match your vision of me. I don't want to be one inch bigger or one inch smaller. I want to be exactly the declared dimensions that you thought of me before the foundation of the world. Because there's one thing I want to hear when Carol and I walk before you that day. And I grab her by the arm and we walk down and we stand before you, Lord Jesus. We're not going to stand there at the white throne judgment. But rather we will stand there at the rewards. When we stand there that day arm in arm, Lord God. I want to hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm not looking for accolades of praise. I'm not looking for great this and that and the other. Just let me hear those words. Then, Father, it will be worth it all. Everything we've ever won went through to hear those great precious words. Anyone else feel that way tonight? Would you just raise your hand, Lord God? Say that about me. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, don't let us miss it, Lord. Let us be faithful to the very end. Whatever you've contributed to us, we might be the little boy that has the lunch with a few fish and loaves. In his hands, it was good for a lunch, a little boy that skipped school. But in the hands of Jesus, it could feed 5,000. Maybe my little ambition, my little gift, my this, that, the other, if I keep it and do what I want to with it, might ne never amount to nothing in life. But if I can surrender it to you, Lord God, it can affect people around the world. Brother Darrell, that people probably thought raised up with him, why, he'll never amount to nothing, old ward boy. You know, them old wards come from over North Carolina and probably just, you know, hang around and become this and that and the other. And yet, Lord God, you've given him a ministry that has touched people around the world. Lord God, there's people alive tonight that's been healed from cancer. People alive that growths have fell off their body that he's prayed for. People alive, Heavenly Father, of great things that you've given to him, Lord. We thank you tonight that we have been blessed to be associated with such a man. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd help each of us to be able to do what you've called us to do, Lord God. Granted, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, we worship you tonight, Father. Hallelujah. How many wants to do something for Jesus? Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Let this just be our song as we sing it together before we go. Oh, hallelujah. Use me, Lord. Brother Donnie, you're getting out in your last years. I, I, I realize that. You think I don't know that? I look at this ugly face in the mirror every day. I realize I ain't the young man I used to be. I ain't the young man I was when I first come here those years ago. But I'm going to keep on pressing and doing everything I can. I may not have the strength. I pray I have more wisdom. I pray I've got a little something more of something to be able to give out. I want to give it till I ain't got no more to give. Don't you? How many wants to keep on giving? Give every ounce that you can give to him. Let's sing it together now. Let it be our prayer. 
now with all your heart oh and even though it's small and humble lord help my will to crumble though the cost be great i'll work for you thank god thank god oh he's a lily of the valley he's the bright and morning star he's the fairest of ten thousands to my soul hallelujah sing it to him children he's the beautiful rose of Sharon he means all the world to me but best of all he is my coming all together with all your heart oh Lord Jesus use us Lord God men women boys girls don't refuse me
service tonight. You appreciate the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. There was another group in the church going to sing this song, and they still can. 
but I, I believe this this little song we've not practiced it actually but this little song will fit the service I believe really well tonight if the Lord builds a house nobody can tear it down how many of you believe that with all your heart somebody say it with me if the Lord builds the house nobody can tear it down give the Lord another good hand clap of praise tonight Built of my own name, but the walls couldn't stand. I trusted my own strength, but it was sinking sand. Oh, yeah. So I put my ruin into your hand and watched you restore them like only.
excited to get back? Somebody say praise the Lord. You're dismissed. God bless you. If the Lord builds a house, nobody can tear it down. If the Lord builds a house, nobody can tear it down. When it's built on His name, there's nothing gonna shake this ground. If the Yeah.